Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. Today we have a very special guest uh, with us. Her name is Susanna Scaroni and she's a wheelchair racer. Uh, in fact, she's just come back from Tokyo uh, where she won the gold medal in the um, 5,000 metres. Well done. And the um, bronze medal in the 800 metres and came sixth in the wheelchair marathon after leading it for the first 38 kilometres uh, in a in a, a pretty awesome effort. Um, she's a three-time Paralympian and she lives and trains in Champaign, Illinois, which is uh, where Adam Blakeney's world-class uh, training group and uh, wheelchair races uh, train out of. Susanna uh, has a very, very busy plate. She's uh, certainly um, a high achiever, as a lot of our Paralympians are. She ha- started her dietetic internship basically as soon as she got back from Tokyo. So Susanna has a bachelor's and a master's at um, at the University of Illinois um, in exercise science and also nutrition, and she's just uh, going to be a, a dietitian, um, hopefully very soon. She's been it's been a long time coming, so she's had to work around all of her athletic commitments. Uh, so Suze was meant to be also training for some wheelchair marathons. Um, that are coming up, but unfortunately, she had a little accident a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so, welcome, Suze. Uh, how are you going with your recovery from the accident? Thanks, Liz. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. I am doing well. I, as you mentioned, I'm here in Champaign with Adam Blakeney and um, the whole national, you know, wheelchair racing training training site. And so, I'm surrounded by a lot of support um, within the. You know, the limitations the physicians have given me. I have been able to um, start getting a little active again this week, um, doing some like supine um, arm ergometry and some light bench pressing um, with like five pound dumbbells, so pretty <laughs> light stuff. But I will take it. So nice. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I feel a lot better as well. So um, I am encouraged in my recovery. Good. Awesome. Oh, that's that's good to hear. And hopefully, have they given you a timeline on how long it might take to get you know, um, back? The last doctor I saw on Monday said in three months, I will. it'll be 80% healed. And in six months, it should be 100% healed. Cool. So it was a pretty, like, you know, um, non-specific to me at all sort of <laughs> thing, but that could be how bones heal. So um, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I guess also having a, a current spinal cord injury may may alter that in some way. Yeah, I would I would suspect so. Um, and I mean, possibly in good ways and bad ways. Maybe in good ways in that I am not loading my spine with as much weight mm-hmm. by standing up. But then again, yeah, I already had scoliosis to begin with. So you know, where there was some weaknesses in my spine before already. Um, I'm not sure how that will be impacted moving forward. Mm, mm. Okay, well, all the best for for that recovery. Let's hope it's the shorter end of that spectrum rather than the longer end. Yeah. Um, but at least Thank you've you. got something else to focus on while you while you're in that process. Um, getting this this final okay. bit of your education <laughs> done. Um. So, can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been in Illinois? Um, and also what a typical training 
week might look like um, when you are in say the middle of this the training season so just you know the number of sessions you might do how much mileage you might do just so so that we can kind of get a picture of what that looks like sure so I moved to Illinois um Champaign Illinois um in August of 20 2011 so I have been here for almost exactly 10 years and um throughout that time as you mentioned I've gone to three games and so my training has kind of at this point, I think I know which events are my events um, and that has impacted how my training is. Uh, when I started, you know, you go through some more foundational work when you work with Adam and then you kind of start to specialize as you are here for a while. So right now um, and like last fall, well, I guess last year was a little strange. The year normally when we're getting into a marathon season, um, our trainings will have some long steady workouts every morning um six days a week so that's anywhere from 15 to 21 miles um and every day and then twice a week we'll go into the gym in the afternoon and do some just stabilization shoulder work get some shoulder mobility activities in there just to really support our continuous pushing forward activity we do all morning um there are Seasons where we'll have a couple more chair sessions in the afternoon. Um, and we're not quite into that right now. We're, Adam's got us in a lower volume, but um, very, I mean, not, 21 miles isn't that low, but we're not having as many two-a-days at the uh-huh. moment. Um, okay. It's not uncommon, too. Cool. Oh, so that's a, you know, it's a, it's generally a fairly busy schedule. Um, and when there's track specific stuff, um, would, would some of that more endurance Based training in the morning be replaced with track sessions or would they be more an afternoon session? Exactly. So when we're in track season, our workouts in the morning are normally high intensity um, um, interval work. So and whether that's on the track or the road, that's what it's going to look like um, where there's anywhere between 30 second to like two minutes of higher intensity activity that we'll be doing um, with a little bit of rest in between. So cool. in those Thank phases, you for outlining that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no problem. Um, I, when we're on the track in the morning doing some high intensity interval work, we'll then go out on the road in the afternoon or in the roller room and do some more steady work there. Um, there are times, some phases when we're in a, a really heavy track phase, we'll do some more interval work, but with a higher load in the afternoon just to get some more force production with a high velocity. Okay. And so can you give us an idea of what your diet might look like on, say, a training day where you had an um, endurance session in the morning and then, say, the strength session in the afternoon? How would you put your food in around that? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. So for me, because um, I've got an idea of my nutrition background, uh What I'm thinking about is supporting training, but um, I'm able to look at it a little bit longer term. So I'm thinking about for that endurance training session in the morning, having a lot of carbohydrates that I'm going to be able to use for the workout um, to keep me going and also to get to the high intensities that you get to in wheelchair racing to also have your neurological awareness um, because it's a very skill-based 
uh, action, even if it's a steady workout, you're still really trying to get more efficient and economical. And so you want to be there neurologically. So I um, normally I would have a cliff bar before practice. Um, I'm also a morning, I get up two hours, I eat two hours before my workout. So I have a bit of time to digest what I want to digest, which is why I'm thinking like a cliff bar or a bowl of cereal because um, there will be some protein in that. And I'm not necessarily thinking I need protein to get through my workout. But, you know, if we're working two a days, I try to use each meal as an opportunity to have some protein in my diet so I can recover from the day before. Mm-hmm. So after the workout in the morning, um, again, I'm trying to replace carbohydrates and then um, use that as a time to get some quality protein in. So I often have like plain Greek yogurt with a chopped up apple. Um, it's like one of my favorite meals. Mm-hmm. And um, then probably a couple hours later or an hour and a half later, I'll probably make like a couple of eggs with spinach and either a bagel or um, a bowl of fruit. So I just, um, I normally, yeah, I eat right after my workout, then a couple hours later. Then I don't normally have much be- until it's about an hour and a half before my lift. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm going to be having like, again, just like some carbohydrates mostly. Um, I like to have like an apple, apple with peanut butter, um, maybe some more yogurt or um, a sandwich, just like a couple slices of bread with some turkey. Um, I don't really have cheese in that meal. I, I don't have much fat in the meals before my workout. Um, and then not quite in the meals right after, but then the next meal after my training session is where I'll add a little bit more fat. And is that because you find that it sits too heavy on your stomach or that and that makes it harder to digest the food before your training session or why why do you choose to do that? I've I used to actually eat a lot more nuts and cheese before workout because I enjoy it and I really don't get much gut issues um personally. I just have noticed that if I can exchange that with a carbohydrate source, I think I feel like I can get more explosive. Um, and some of that's probably just placebo. I, I think that's the way it works. And so I'm just trying to do it, but I have made that shift over the last five years and Mm -hmm. I think it's helped a lot in my ability to generate a high speed and have a little bit more, um, more quick motions than I used to have. Um, but I can tolerate, I can tolerate, um, like nuts and cheese before I work out. I know not every athlete can. but that's really my thought process going around it. Yeah. Um, I'll have another meal very similar to the morning where I have some protein and carbohydrates right after the lift. Um, and then, you know, a couple hours later, have dinner. Mm-hmm. Great. Because there's a lot of athletes I know do that morning session without really eating anything. And sometimes it's because they think that it just doesn't sit well on their stomach. But you obviously are willing to get up that couple of hours earlier and, and make sure you do have something to eat do you find have you ever done that session without eating anything I have done a few sessions without eating anything and um well I know I need I would need to give myself some more time to you know get it adapted to that I I did not like it I didn't (laughs) tolerate it psychologically (laughs) um I I really enjoy having 
having a meal in me and I can tell the difference in my energy level mm-hmm. going into it. I feel very energized when I go to practice every morning. And I do think it's helped by having a meal, having some time to let that meal, you know, register in your body that, hey, we've got a lot of energy here. Because mm-hmm. um, when I don't, I, I just don't feel as awake. Yep. Nice. Um, do, you, do you also add any source of caffeine before you go out or, or um, do you find that that's not a good thing to do? I am a big supporter of having caffeine before I work out. Um, I have about two aeropresses before practice. So that's about like 32 grams of coffee beans, which I'm not entirely sure what the caffeine level on that is, but it's like two servings of coffee. Um, and you sound I sound very scientific really, there, Suze. <laughs> you know, it's just that I measure it. <laughs> I love having caffeine practice. Um, I will say, though, that in Tokyo, I decided because I raced in the evening a lot. Um, and I considered whether I was going to have afternoon coffee. Um, and I elected not to because sleep is something that's really important to me as well. And I've been trying to find that right balance for me between being caffeinated for my training and for my, you know, productivity during the day, but still sleeping well. And I, I realized in Tokyo, I was okay racing in the evening, even though I still only had those two cups of coffee in the morning. So I think I'm not as dependent now on caffeine, though. I think I at least psychologically feel like I don't have to have it in there. Well, and obviously you managed to, to come out with a pretty cracking gold medal without the caffeine. So well done you. Thank you. Well, that, I mean, I lucked out. The 5K was also in the morning. So I, maybe that is the difference. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But it seems like you've been become pretty good at being a, um, making yourself your own guinea pig and trying different things. Um so yesterday with or the other day we were talking with Nick Bird uh, on the podcast about protein and I know that he was your master's supervisor um, and that you had lots of, he said that you had lots of discussions around protein. Um, how do you think your diet's changed over, say, the last five years um, and specifically around protein? I know that that was something that you did focus on um, improving. So so. What kind of um, what did you what did you notice and and how did you go through that process and and what was the outcome? Yeah, thanks. That's a good question. Um, so yeah, when I entered Nick's lab, I I knew protein was important, but I didn't understand the entire. I didn't understand muscle physiology at that point, <laughs> and so. Um, Going, you know, working on the muscle level, which is what Nick is focused on, you you realize how sensitive and responsive muscles are to protein in our diet. And you can actually, you know, magnify that response when you add exercise. So I already, I mean, I knew I was having exercise. Um, so that was really eye-opening for me to say, okay, my muscles are, they're responding to the just the sheer act of me eating protein. And so I think more than anything, I became cognizant of protein as, um, a, a, you know, an ability or, and its ability to stimulate protein synthesis. And um, so I was more, um, 
I looked at protein as a way to really aid in my muscles overall health, not just recovery, but in how I could grow them, how I could have them know that they were going to be getting more protein regularly so that they would continue pro- like driving protein synthesis throughout my entire body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I ended up doing was, like I said earlier, you know, knowing that the protein I'm having even before a workout, if I'm having it early enough, is going to be doing a job. It's going to be telling my muscles to be able to grow. Um, and then I really prioritize it after my workout when the muscles are even more sensitive to having it come in. Um, I did already kind of think about that in the past. You're kind of always told like carbohydrates and protein after practice. But when I entered Nick's lab and learned how our bodies, you know, they don't necessarily need that acute protein. You could have it throughout the entire day and it's still contributing. So I, it kind of expanded my thoughts on protein that I'm not just going to be having it after a lift or only after practice. I'm going to be having more snacks that include protein in there. So um, my afternoon snacks, have a pretty um, high quality protein source on them. Um, and that was an addition that I didn't always have. And um, sometimes depending on the training and how I feel, my right before bed, I'll have some protein as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's At- sort of how the shift went. And I've felt I have gotten stronger um, and I've gained more lean body mass. So, and I've gotten faster. So I think that the results have really shown the the role of protein and increasing it, but just kind of dosing it all throughout the day have um, really had a good impact on me. And what sources of protein do you usually look for? You talk about high quality protein. Are you using food-based sources or are you using a supplemental, like a, a whey protein or something like that? I am now just only having food sources. So I have Greek yogurt, um, I like to have deli lunch meat at my house too. So like turkey and chicken, eggs. I make salmon basically every week and I have canned tuna fish to make as a quick snack. Um, those are my main protein sources. I do really enjoy tofu as well. So I make tofu probably once a week. Um, and yeah, I've not been having any supplemental protein sources. Right. Even when you travel? Um. It depends. When I have traveled in the past, I did make use of the whey powder supplements that were available with when I was on a team trip. And I had sort of expected maybe to do that in Tokyo, depending on how the dining hall situation was with COVID and everything. But uh, Team USA had incredible whole food options for us. So we had um, we had Core Life milk and we had our Fair Life and we had um, yogurt overnight oats made for us and tuna packets and jerky so i was able to still stick to a food first approach um even on that trip which i was kind of surprised by nice that's always a nice surprise to be able to um still continue what you're normally doing at home uh even when you travel so um anything that came out as not well and i guess what am i asking um Anything that you noticed as a side effect, whether that was a positive or a negative, just as a side effect or something else that you noticed through that process of improving your, or increasing your protein intake and making it through the day? Um, anything that 
you hadn't expected that came out of, of that? Hmm. I I will say that maybe prior to entering Nick's lab, I, I I have used whey powder supplementation in the past. And Nick is really heavily focused on whole food matrixes. And so what that means is just that there's a lot of things going on in a whole food that you can't get in the supplement. And so I have to say I've challenged myself to try and gain that, grab the potential out of foods, then not use a whey supplement or a soy supplement. And um, I've noticed the just the more logistical, like the challenges of doing that, but also how it's more interesting to me that it kind of it kind of forces me to add other foods to it. So if I'm going to prepare a piece of chicken, I'm not going to eat a piece of chicken by itself. I'm going to complement it with like some sweet potatoes and some broccoli and some like other things. So I've sort of watched myself, um, you know, probably being even more focused on a varied diet by being food first approach to my protein. But also um, that presents a challenge in and of itself. Because like you said, I do feel very busy all the time. And it's helped me, you know, really need to prep and to maximize times that I can like cook large amounts of food, um, which has impacted how I buy food and how which kind of storage containers I get. So, um, you know, there are you have to sort of create this infrastructure into your life that lets you do it. But you can really get in um, a good routine when it comes uh-huh. to preparing food. And then it's so much easier to have it and uh, it tastes better. Nice. That's one side effect I've noticed is having <laughs> to prepare more. Um, yeah, so there's a time component of being prepared and having having to be organized. But most of that happens at the early phase of making that change. And once you get into that routine, you find it actually easy to, to just continue it. Is that right? Yes, that's what I, I would say. That's true. Um, in terms of other side effects, um, I can't think of any at the moment, but I I will keep thinking about it if one comes up. Cool. Um, and so any words of advice that you have for other para-athletes who may be listening or, or their parents? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I do have some words of encouragement or some things that I've noticed. I really think it takes practice to get used to eating food and then getting on your stomach. So, or doing an ex- doing an activity. And I have practiced this a long time, um, and I think that's certainly played into how I can tolerate food. But I've also learned in grad school that your gut is kind of responsive, like your muscles are. So it can actually also learn. And it's not just about you getting better at being uncomfortable or anything like that. It's like your body can actually get better at taking food in more quickly. And so I can't emphasize enough practicing this and trying to eat breakfast or eat before your workout, like at least two hours before, so that you can really have that energized feeling going into a workout. Because at least in in the sport I do, um, you can do it fasted. You're going to make it through the distance, but to really get to like the, the high energy and like the really high intensity accelerations that are going to really separate you from other athletes, um, having enough fuel in your body to be able to do that um, is, I think, you know, 
what would separate an athlete in the future. And I think we're hopefully there. Um, and yeah, I think practicing that because there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable and it makes sense that you're uncomfortable, but I think starting small and just getting more and more used to eating is a huge bit of advice that I would offer. Fantastic. And do you think that that translates better than when you're preparing for a race itself, like the day of the race and eating before your event? Absolutely. I think it translates a lot. And Tokyo is kind of an example. Um, I ate like early in the morning. It was like the middle of the night, basically. But by the time we were in the call room, it had been a long time. And I was able to still eat some of a cliff bar and like right before I got in my racing chair. And I, I don't think I would have been able to do that if I had never been eating before. And I had no GI symptoms whatsoever during that race. And I just think my body has gotten used to digesting it. And um, that was also a specific food that I trained with at home. So my body's even more used to digesting that specific product. And I think that certainly helped me. Well, I also had a cliff bar in the call room before the 5,000 meter. And ah, that's there you was, go. And that was very little time to digest it, but I was really hungry. So um, I think it helps. The things that you've actually learned and been able to implement, I think that's fantastic. Um, Suze, a little bit of left field. What's your favorite food? Oh, um, my favorite food is definitely beef bulgogi bibimbap. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to you know explain that. Okay. I know so what it is, but some people may not. <laughs> okay. So it's a cream that um, comes in this hot stone bowl, and they put a little bit of oil in the bottom of the bowl before adding white rice, or I get it with brown rice. Um, and the heat on the stone and then the oil causes the bottom of the brown, or the rice to just brown and get really crispy. And then on top of the rice are pickled vegetables, um, some marinated beef, and a fried egg and then they put this like chili sauce over the top and it's my favorite food (laughs) (laughs) sounds fascinating um i think i've had it i I, the marinated meat is actually really nice it's really thinly cut isn't it yeah it's very thin there's not a ton of it but just very flavorful Mm. and then the pickled vegetables really good for your gut huh yes there's good probiotics in them and some prebiotics. I'm sure there's a little bit of fiber left. <laughs> well, especially if you use the brown rice, then you've got some too. True, true. Yeah, good very good protein, for the gut. Not too much protein, not too little protein. <laughs> Sounds like a well-balanced meal. Good job. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the next 12 months look like for you? Once you, well, I guess, you know, apart from trying to recover from this injury, um, what does the next 12 months look like? Um, so my plan right now is I'm hopeful to be racing in the spring marathons. That's my first kind of hopeful goal. But I will also be completing my dietetic internship that I will finish in the end of May. And after that, I plan on um, studying for about six weeks before my board exam to then pass it and be a registered dietitian. After within the summer range, I will also plan on um, depositing and defending my thesis for my master's and um, which is you know surrounding nutrition considerations for para-athletes so I hope to be well positioned for taking a job as a sports dietitian um, to work with para-athletes and I would also like to still race I think there's a lot of things I've learned that I need to improve 
And so I, I don't feel content anymore that I got the gold medal because I now learned a bunch of other things I need to work on. And so I would like to keep racing. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Fantastic. Doesn't sound like you're letting yourself have a break at all. <laughs> Like you, Liz. I think I had a great mentor. Maybe in 12 months' time you can take over this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Suze, um, for joining us and for for giving us such a wealth of information. I think that's um, unbelievable sort of stuff for the the people who are listening. So thank you so much for your time. Um, It's been great catching up with you and I wish you all the very best for what's to come. Thank you, Liz. And thank you for helping me learn a lot of these important information that I have now. (laughs) So it was a pleasure.